the Jewish views on the president-elect Donald Trump. What are the community's hopes for the 45th president of the free world? Yiddish humor, just what are the origins of it and how has it changed over the years? Author Maureen Kendler tells us. And the British friends of Oel Sarah tell us why you're invited to a mystic night out. But first, with a roundup of the main Jewish news stories from the past week, I'm Jason Rosam. Naftala Bennett, the Israeli Minister for Education, has sparked outrage over claims that Donald Trump's surprise presidential election win will lead to the end of international political will for a Palestinian state. Mr Bennett made the comments in a statement released on Wednesday, just hours after the results were announced. Meanwhile, in the UK, the President of the Board of Deputies has been strongly criticised for congratulating Mr Trump on his victory. More than 50 young British Jews, consisting of several deputies and Jewish Student Society presidents, said Jonathan Arkush's thoughts on Trump were laughable. The president-elect's win comes as a massive blow to American Jews, who voted overwhelmingly for the Democrats, as they've done throughout history. In other news this week, the Likud MK, David Amsalam, has called on the Israeli government to cancel the Western Wall Egalitarian Prayer Agreement. Mr Amsalam made the remarks during a committee meeting on Tuesday. It was announced in January that the area by Robinson's Arch would be an allocated prayer space for non-Orthodox worshipping. The agreement was approved 15-5 by the Cabinet. Israel has marked its first official Aliyah Day, which celebrates immigration to the country and the contributions immigrants have made to society. A ceremony at the International Convention Centre in Jerusalem was attended by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, Immigrant Absorption Minister Sofa Landver and Jewish Agency Chairman Natan Sharansky. And finally, an inquisitive Labrador collie sniffed out live ammunition near a children's playground in Edgewarebury Park. Ozzy was out on his daily walk when his attention was drawn to three bullets lying on the ground. Following the discovery, his owner Keith Sanford alerted police. The police have said inquiries are ongoing, but Ozzy's mum, Bev, said he's earned himself a treat for the find. That's the news. Now Andrew Sherwood has your sports. Thank you, Jason. A controversial clash in a Jewish football match on Sunday saw Oakwood B manager Jason Steen accuse Faithfold A players of exerting thuggery and premeditated violence. Faithfold boss Rob Schumann denied the claims, saying, I don't understand his comments. Was he watching the same game as me? Israel's World Cup qualifier against Albania has been moved due to security issues after four suspected ISIS terrorists were arrested in Albania for plotting to attack Israeli footballers. The match will now take place closer to the capital Tirana, although Israeli officials wanted the game played at a neutral venue. In boxing, Tony Milch said he turned in his strongest performance to date as he claimed his 12th consecutive professional victory with a fourth round KO of Hungarian Ferenc Katona. And finally, Lance Stroll will become the second youngest ever Formula One driver after he was selected by Williams to race for them next season. The 18-year-old Canadian is the son of billionaire Lawrence Stroll and began karting as an 8-year-old. Remember, you can catch up on all the latest Jewish sports at www.jewishnews.co.uk. 
Andrew, thank you very much indeed. Well, welcome along to this edition of The Jewish Views. I'm Phil Dave. Let's start off, as we always do, with a look through your copy of The Jewish News for this week. Joining me in the studio to go through it is foreign editor Stephen Orezchuk and features editor Fran Wolfish. Welcome to you both. Now, I'm sure this comes as a massive surprise that on the front page, there really is only one person and one story that could possibly feature. The headline reads, Heaven Help Us or US, however you interpret that. And Stephen, I'm assuming we are talking about Mr. Trump's victory. We are indeed. Donald won, counted against every poll that was going, so surprised everybody. We've led on the front page with a voice of the Jewish news, so our opinion on this, and our opinion is one of shock, horror, oh dear, what have we got to look forward to now? We've taken a few interesting points, only 24% of American Jews voted for Trump, over 70% voted for Hillary Clinton, and that's an increase of 8% on the number or the proportion voting Democrat last election. We've looked at the Israeli reaction. Some of the right-wing politicians in Israel have welcomed Trump's win as meaning the end of the era for the Palestinian state. And we've covered the UK reaction, and there was some anger at the Board of Deputies President Jonathan Arkush for congratulating Trump, especially young Jews felt that that was unnecessary. And it's quite a a massive deal because it covers several pages of the paper this week, doesn't it, Fran? It does. It's a story on everyone's lips. It does. And you didn't have to be in America or be an American to be watching this election very closely because at the end of the day, whoever is in charge of America is very clearly going to have an impact on us here in the UK and even within the Jewish community and again with Israel. So really, we were watching this pretty much as closely as people who were right there. For the people who voted for Hillary Clinton, obviously it was a huge blow. But when you look back at the campaign itself, I mean, there was there was a lot of mudslinging on both sides. You got to the point, really, where you kind of started thinking, how did we get here? And actually, the two candidates we're left with, were they the best candidates? And it began to feel like actually neither candidate were actually going to do the best job. Well, I raised it in last week's program when I was speaking to Dr. Lenny Crystal, who was talking to us last week about the prediction in terms of sort of who might win and what it would mean to world jury. And I said that I think that the biggest thing to come out of this election that I've noticed is that there's hardly anyone who could tell us what either of the two candidates' policies were going to be. It was more about them as individuals rather than what they were going to do for America should they get elected. It's a really interesting point you raise. Trump has always been policy light or detail light. It's a good tactic if you're running for president to be kind of vague on what you're actually going to do, the nitty gritty specifically on how much money there is available. Clinton did put forward a policy vision. She was had far more details, a costed plan, but no one was listening because, as you say, it became all about the personality. And when you've got a personality like Donald Trump saying the sorts of things and tweeting the sorts of things that he uh, was doing, then, of course, the media, the press are going to lap everything up. They did. And the media have been blamed by liberal Americans, progressives all around the world as being a contributing factor 
for his win because they kept him in the news pages. Well, the bottom line is that he is now president-elect and we have got to look forward to him being inaugurated in January. So it's not all doom and gloom because Bibi Netanyahu has called him a true friend to Israel. So he's obviously delighted. Good point again. I think Bibi Netanyahu would have called whoever won a true friend of Israel. But you get the impression he meant it when he said that of Trump. The two are friends. Trump is far more likely, in Bibi's view, I I personally feel, to back Israel in any military confrontation around the world. Everybody, of course, thinks about Iran. Trump has said some explosive stuff on military aggression abroad. You don't get the feeling that he'd ever hold back. And this is a good, this was a good day for Bibi Netanyahu. Well, I guess time will tell, but there you go. Let's talk about some other stories other than Donald Trump's election victory, because, funnily enough, there is some other news around as well. And I believe that on page eight this week, there is a story about a poster that has also been deemed potentially anti-Semitic. What's going on? Yes, the posters appeared as part of an anti-terrorism campaign, which was approved by the Department of Transport. And it was really to say to passengers, look, you know, watch out. There's somebody around with a big coat. They might be hiding something. You go have a look at the poster. It's actually a man with a really big black coat but there's also the beard the hat the crooked nose oh dear here we go again this takes us back of course to those posters that appeared just before the war very sort of anti-semitic the kind of the jew controlling everything controlling the world and some people were offended by this i mean looking at it actually it could very equally be someone of Muslim or other ethnic background. So again, you have to kind of say, well, are we kind of profiling who a terrorist is through this poster? It's it's a little bit on the edge, probably. And so the British Transport Police have actually withdrawn the posters now. But Stephen, I'm sorry, I have to ask this, and I'm not being flippant, I'm being absolutely serious, because I don't believe that the British Transport Police for one second would go out of their way to produce something that was intended to offend anyone from any religion just because of the backlash that they get from it. Could it not be that this is a case of oversensitivity? And the flippancy I'm going to say is, what next? Are we going to look at posters of Santa Claus on it and say, because he's got a big coat and a beard that obviously someone's trying to offend? You are the voice of sanity and reason. I couldn't agree more. People may have overreacted to this one. When you put it alongside the 1937 famous Nazi propaganda poster, The Eternal Jew, obviously there are there are links. But there can be links to, between this British Transport Police poster and lots of things. You're quite right. The BTP did not go out of their way to offend any group. Why would they? Their response was... We didn't mean to. We drew it as a cartoon rather than a photo in order to avoid depicting a particular ethnic group or community. It just so happens that it does resemble this Nazi poster and people remember it. Memories are long and uh, offence was taken by some. Feathers have been ruffled, but all the same, hopefully they will smooth out again before long. Fran, we've got time for one more piece really, really quickly. I believe that you have been talking to Stephen Polyakov. That's right, yes. Stephen Polyakov, as you know, is a well-known BBC screenwriter and director, and his latest drama is Close to the Enemy, which began on Thursday night. It's based on the research that he actually did into the work of T-Force. They were a secretive unit of the British 
army after the war and they were tasked with literally whipping abducting top german scientists off the streets of germany whipping them out of their beds and bringing them over to britain all for the sake of getting the secrets first it was very important after the war for the british army to make sure that the russians didn't get hold of these top scientists and that we had the technology first so it's a very gripping drama it stars jim sturgis and also charlotte riley freddie highmore you might remember from bates motel and alfie allen game of thrones so it's got a great cast it's very gripping the main character is who works for T-Force is actually pitted against a woman from the war crimes unit. So on the one hand, you have these people grabbing these Nazis and sort of forgiving them for their crimes because we need their secrets. And on the other hand, you have this woman who's trying to fight for justice and bring these criminals into the courts and try them for the crimes that they committed during the war. Well, we look forward to reading all about that on page 23. But that, I'm afraid, is all we've got time for for a look at the paper for this week. Thank you both very much. Don't forget that you can pick up your copy of The Jewish News every Thursday across London, or you can read the e-version online at jewishnews.co.uk. Now, just in case you haven't been listening or following the news this week, we know that Donald Trump has indeed been elected as the 45th president of America. There's been an array of reactions to the news, as we've been hearing from across the community. But now the question is, what does this mean for not only Jews of America, but Israel and the wider world? Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has, as we've heard, called him a great friend to Israel. Various religious leaders over here, meanwhile, have expressed their concerns over the result. Well, political commentator Carol Gould is an American Jew who lives in London, and I've been speaking to her to gauge her reaction to the events of the last week. Are you as shocked as everyone else is by the fact that Donald Trump has won the US election 2016? No, because all year in every broadcast I've done in the UK, I have said I think Trump will win, but most particularly after the convention, because Bernie Sanders was the other populist candidate. And the executive editor of the New York Times on Newsnight said 10 days ago, do not underestimate the fury of the 13 million Sanders voters who were marginalized by the Democratic National Committee. And so from the beginning of the year, I just had this feeling that he was going to win because the Democrats really didn't have anyone viable except Bernie Sanders. And I had a house in Vermont, so I know what a good constituency congressman he was, what a wonderful senator he's been. He is very left-wing. He's a socialist, but he has an enormous following. And Hillary Clinton has always had baggage. I said this from January, that she was right in the middle still of the congressional hearings on Benghazi. She was being subjected to 11 hours of interrogation by Congress and the, and the Senate, the Republican Senate and Congress. She was being investigated for activities of the Clinton Foundation. And because of the events in Benghazi, the emails, Benghazi, these just these words just kept reverberating and i felt that trump because he has this entrenched following he appeals to what michael moore said and i have said this all year to the middle class people who were comfortable but who are now living in trailer parks in america 
and going to the food bank. And they're angry and they say, how did I end up like this? And there is an element of, with Donald Trump, he's the guy who can save us because he pulled himself out of bankruptcy. Far be it from me to play pie in the sky, because obviously who knows what would have happened if we had a sliding doors moment. Mm -hmm. But... Are you suggesting then that you think it could have been a very different outcome if Bernie Sanders was the Democratic nomination? It's, it's possible that Bernie could have beaten Trump. But I have said when I broadcast this whole year that the dignity of the U.S. in this whole year has been damaged. The dignified campaign with no scandals, no skeletons in the closet would have been Condoleezza Rice for the Republicans and Bernie Sanders for the Democrats. Condi Rice would, might have won. I think it's possible she would have won. But two people with integrity, no scandals, and the whole tone of the electoral year would have been different. Uh, the Republican Party, the establishment Republican Party would have liked her. They've been trying to draft her for years to run for president. She always says no. I think she would have edged Bernie Sanders, but it would have been a campaign with dignity. And the reason why Trump edged Hillary out is because despite his bankruptcies, despite the claims from women that he behaved improperly with them, Americans felt in the long run on election day this year, November 8th, that of the two people, these two are amongst the most unpopular people in politics. But they decided that despite his bankruptcies, despite the accusations of impropriety with young women, that at least Trump had pulled himself out of bankruptcy and that he, he what you see is what you get and that he is a better bet because he's not immediately going to be going into being investigated the day after elected. There, there was, there was a, a feeling that Hillary would still be under investigation after the election. Carol, the truth is that when it comes to all things American politics, I certainly don't think in the community that anyone other than you and Charlie Wolf <laughs> have done more homework for this particular subject. Do you think that there is any truth in what people were saying, that there were concerns that if Hillary Clinton were to get in, that she wouldn't do as much for Israel as, say, Donald Trump hopefully will do now that he has been elected? Oh, yes. Charlie Wolf and I come from different political perspectives, but he and I will agree that Hillary Clinton has doesn't have the greatest record on Israel, the Middle East, on terrorism. She has had Huma Abedin as her right-hand woman, as, as her Siamese twin for the past five years, who would have been White House chief of staff. But more importantly, Hillary Clinton has been using Max and Sidney Blumenthal for years for advice. So yes, I think that the community needs to know uh, that Hillary Clinton actually might not have been good news for Israel. And it would have come out very quickly. Well, one thing that did come out very quickly, and still I think an awful lot of the Jewish community, certainly in this country, and I know that primarily the Jewish community in America, typically speaking, vote Democrat. But do you think that the world is ending in the way that people seem to make out as if it is going to, that they seem so traumatized by the prospect that someone like Donald Trump with some of the rhetoric that he's come out with during this campaign has now been elected? Is the world doomed? No. That's another thing that, in fact, Conrad Black was on Newsnight a few weeks ago. And he said, I've come on specifically to say to you, the British media, stop demonizing Donald Trump. He was a brilliant student. 
at Wharton. He's not an idiot. And he is, he said, he is not Mussolini. He is not Hitler. He is not going to create Armageddon. And I agree. I I followed Donald Trump for many years. I wasn't happy about his birther movement, which was a movement to prove that Barack Obama was not born in the U.S. I felt that was uh, uh, that was a long shot, and it upset a lot of mainstream Republicans as well, of course, as Democrats. But I don't believe he's going to create Armageddon. Every president is surrounded by good people. Hopefully he will be too. I mean, let's, lest we forget, Richard Nixon wanted to drop a nuclear device on Damascus just after the Yom Kippur War, and it was Kissinger who talked him out of it. So hopefully Trump will have Kissinger level, the, the people of that quality and caliber around him. Well, you know what's interesting? I find this fascinating. All through this year's campaign, Trump has never traduced Bernie Sanders. He has never, ever said anything bad about him. And three weeks ago, he said, Sanders would have left a legacy. She won't. Part of this is because he and Bernie, Trump and Bernie agree. And I'll tell you why I'm saying this. He and Bernie agree on NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement, on TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. They agree on breaking up Wall Street, on breaking up big business and making it more sympathetic to the needs of middle America and poor America. And I suspect that he could bring in someone like Bernie Sanders to reach across the aisle. He gave a very eloquent speech on the morning after the election and wanted to reach out to Democrats. And I think that he, I don't, I don't think Bernie would say yes to being in a Trump administration, but I think he's going to have some very smart people around him. Just finally, what do you hope for now that we know that Trump is going to be the 45th president of the USA? What do you personally hope he will achieve during his time in office? I think in terms of the, the community, Certainly, I'm part of the British community. I would like to see him be friendly to Israel, to not sink into this awful state of being that has happened since the Gaza war, that every person in public life, Democrat or Republican, hates Netanyahu and and is very anti-Israel. And I would like to see Trump be friendly to Israel, to care about the survival of the Jewish state, and to keep Israel being helped. He has got a Republican Congress and Senate. Republicans traditionally have been much more sympathetic to Israel and to aid for Israel than Democrats have. So I would like to see him being friendly. He has an advantage. He and Bibi Netanyahu, I believe, are friends. I don't know how close. And I would also like to see him do what Bernie Sanders promised to do, which is to help the struggling middle classes and the struggling poor. And I actually think Trump could do something about that, that he could perhaps turn the economy around with good advisors. American political commentator Carol Gould speaking to me there about Donald Trump's election victory and offering her opinion as to what it could mean for global jury. You're listening to The Jewish Views in association with The Jewish News. Still to come on this edition, Clive Roslin will be here for The Jewish Schmooze. Today, Clive and Adam will be joined by journalist and author Emma Klein, presenter Jeremy Jacobs and founder of the Jewish Poetry Society, Judy Carbritz. They'll be discussing the subject on everyone's lips, the results of the presidential elections. Plus, community reporter Diana Toman will be speaking to Sophie Ezra about a forthcoming event that the British friends of O.L. Sarah shall be putting on. 
But first, there's nothing quite like a good Jewish joke, and JW3 recognised that, as they'll be hosting the UK Jewish Comedy Festival for 2016 from the 1st to the 4th of December. Part of said festival will be a talk entitled Being Serious About Jokes, Yiddish Humour in the Shtetl. It's fronted by author Maureen Kendler, and entertainment and culture reporter Kate Fulton has been speaking to Maureen to find out more about it. Kate started by asking Maureen to tell us exactly what is Yiddish humour. Yiddish humour is particular to Jewish people and it flourishes somewhere, well it ends, we know where it ends, it obviously ends in about 1939 with the coming of the war, but it also ends really with the mass emigration that takes place in the late 1880s from the Pale of Settlement, Russia and Poland. And But before then, from roughly the Middle Ages onwards, there is a thriving Yiddish humour. There are jokes made by Jews for Jews so this is done and about Jews and about Jews but this is not done for the wider community I think in the 20th century when lots of Jews emigrate to America and make fantastic stage and film careers suddenly non-Jews are hearing Yiddish humor either in the language or in the Yiddish style but originally Yiddish humor is an in joke right and what sort of things do we joke about did we joke about what sort of, was it about the way we ate or dressed or or, or, or religion? Well, Yiddish humour is always about something. And Jewish humour generally, and Yiddish humour particularly, doesn't do fanciful stuff. It's not flights of fancy. It's always about something. It's about family. It's about Jews, other Jews. It's about business. It's about mothers. And it's often about God as well. Nothing is sacred. That's very important. All right. And, and the, the language that the jokes were in were always in Yiddish. So how did they translate? They do translate very well because a lot of it is about inflection or word order or a certain intonation going upwards at the end of the sentence, which and a shrug of the shoulders and a word, a Yiddish word like no which has many, many meanings and is really, really hard to translate. How do you translate? I often write that in a text. I'm thinking, yeah, what am I saying? Yes. But nu is a Yiddish word that is not translated into anything. But if you put nu, I mean, Barbara Streisand puts nu at the end of some of her more Jewish songs and everybody knows what it means. But now you're going to ask me what it means. Um, <laughs> it means well... Do we agree? Or, or, or come on then. Come on then. Or what next? So if you're saying, is X going to marry Y? No. Like, when's it going to happen? Or when are you going to get going? But it also means carry on the story. So a word like no, you know, uh, yes. translates really well. But actually, Yiddish translates very well into English. And was this part of the, the, the whole Yiddish theatre movement? The, 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 was the comedy part of that because the whole Yiddish theatre had its own separate line didn't it? Before Yiddish theatre we have Yiddish stories and we have Yiddish books so yes you're absolutely right that Yiddish theatre there's two strands in Yiddish culture and that goes for theatre or for books or anything one is basically and certainly for music as well you're either very very sad or very very happy there's nothing in between so Yiddish theatre certainly has its comedy and the first Yiddish theatre that we know about are actually musical comedies with silly songs and stories in them but before that we've got the classic short story writers people like Sholem Aleichem who were not totally but predominantly involved in comedy writing. 
when you're thinking of, of Yiddish theatre, it's not vulgar humour or it's quite family orientated. It's something that kids can sort of join in on once they are of an age to understand humour. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. I think it becomes much more vulgar once it gets to America. I think in the shtetl, it's very contained and, as you say, quite well behaved. I think there's that explosion, isn't there, of Jewish talent on the vaudeville boards of America. And that's because they can. And I think in the shtetl, the rules were much stronger. You were aware of the restrictions in the community. And it is quite well behaved and quite mild mannered. And I think that's why it gets much punchier once it gets out of the shtetl. Although there is one exception, and that's the Purim spiel, the Purim play once a year when no holds were barred and it was as rude as possible. And it was all transgressive, if you like, because it involves cross-dressing and making fun of the rabbi and lots of bawdy jokes. But that's once a year only. And what's about your own interest in Yiddish? How did that start? I am ashamed to say that I don't really speak it and don't understand very much of it. I was one of those classic children whose parents spoke Yiddish when they didn't want us to understand. So you sit very quietly under the table and pick up the odd word here and there. And my grandfather spoke Yiddish at home and we used to tell him not to because it was associated with, for me, tragedy and loss and the Holocaust. And the minute I heard a Yiddish sentence, I had horrible images of all that went wrong, if you like, for the Jewish community. But My interest is very much to do with the literature. And once I started reading Peretz and Shalom Aleichem and Isaac Besheva Singer in translation, I was really hooked. We often have the the comedians of today. They're sort of one person doing a stand-up and it feels very much in your face. It's it's almost an aggressive type of humour, whereas the Yiddish humour feels a bit more laid back. I don't know if that's something that that we're going to come on to the the Yiddish event, the humour event. Yiddish comedy, I think, is gentler on the whole. It's very subtle and it is not in your face. It's not aggressive um, because it's mostly making fun of our own peculiarities. It's observational comedy. And it's also, I think, gallows humour is a little bit strong because it's just... No, you know, life is really hard. What are you going to do, laugh or cry? And on the whole, the answer is laugh. But that is, as you say, not an in-your-face angry humour. Yes, Jews and comedy have go back forever. We always sort of think of, as you say, if you're not going to laugh, you'll cry. So we might as well, we might as well make a joke of it. Absolutely. There are jokes in the Bible. I mean, you've got to look hard. Are they really? Oh, yes. You've got to look hard for them. And they are. the Bible isn't an entertainment. Uh, no, you don't uh, think of it as a giggle, not, really. It's not a laugh. And the comedy there is not to amuse, but the comedy there is the roots of Jewish humour. I see irony. There's a lot of wordplay and a lot of puns. And, you know, when the children of Israel are out in the desert and they say to Moses, what, there weren't enough graves in Egypt? You had to take us out here to die in the desert. And you Sarcasm. Can, yes, you it? can hear that irony. You can hear that shoulder shrug. You can hear the word no. <laughs> so take us to the event in JW3. What's happening? Well, what's happening is that we're going to explore the roots of Jewish humour in the shtetl. And I'd like to look at two writers particularly. And that's two of the three 
grandfathers, if you like, of Yiddish literature. The third grandfather, who's called Moses Mendel Mochelis of Forum, is his name. We're not going to look at him. But the other two are Sholem Aleichem and uh, Yud Lamed Peretz. So they write extremely comical and funny stuff. And a lot of jokes and a lot of the humour that we know about would arise from those. So I'm going to start with those two, because they are very much the two different faces of comedy. So is it more of an academic look at the humour? Not at all. No, no, no. It's for everybody. And I'm just using the books. And the stories are very well known on the whole. And even if you don't think you know them, you do. You may just heard them from folklore. No, it's not academic at all. I hope it's very accessible. But it's, it's not funny. I'm not telling jokes. I'm being serious about humour. Is it part of a, the festival itself? Yes, it's part of the Jewish Tell Comedy Festival. Tell us what's festival. going on the festival. There are stand-ups, there are certainly performances, and there's writing workshops, and there's films, and there's lots and lots of new faces and familiar faces. And there's an old Borscht Belt um, se- uh, session. All the Catskills. Yes, the, the Catskills, old- <gasps> yes, celebrating wow. that particular type of humour that was so popular in America. If we want to find out more or get some tickets, how do we go about that? The best place to go to is the JW3 box office and the website for that is www.jw3.org.uk. And is it going to be a favourite part for you? Is there anything you're, you're quite looking forward to? Well... This sounds a bit a bit narcissistic, but I'm very much looking forward to my own session because I can never get enough of those old Shalom Aleichem stories and the Yud Lamad Peret stories. And I do feel that I'm carrying a bit of a torch because this is, in this country, very much a lost tradition and very much a dead culture. And I feel slightly responsible for, uh, for, keeping, it back. It, for keeping it going. Author Maureen Kendler talking to entertainment and culture reporter Kate Fulton there about her forthcoming talk at JW3 called Being Serious About Jokes, Yiddish Humour in the Shtetl. It's on Sunday the 4th of December at 3 o'clock and it's part of the UK Jewish Comedy Festival for 2016. More information can be found, as Maureen has just said, at jw3.org.uk. In just a moment will be this week's Jewish Schmooze. A reminder, we now live stream the Schmooze on our Facebook page every Thursday evening from 7pm Greenwich Mean Time. That all-important address is coming up, but that means that you can comment along as the discussion unfolds. And of course, we'll try and read those comments out as and when we get them. It's just another way you can share your Jewish views with us. Speaking of which, if you'd like to get involved, we would love to hear your Jewish views. You can email studio at jewishviews.co.uk or you can contact us via social media. Find us on Facebook by going to facebook.com forward slash jewishviews or on Twitter. We are at jewishviewsuk. Now, the British Friends of Oel Sarah is a charity whose aim is to enrich the quality of life for special needs children and adults in Israel. Well, they're putting on an event to help raise awareness for the work they do. It's called An Evening of Mystery, and community reporter Diana Toman has been speaking to Sophie Ezra from British Friends of O.L. Sarah to find out more. Diana started by asking Sophie to tell us a bit more about the work the charity does. The British Friends of O.L. Sarah was set up about 25 years ago. Our role is to support the organization in Israel, which has been around for around 40 years. Our mission is to look after children and adults in central Israel who have cognitive disabilities through education, employment and independent living facilities. 
Children from what age? From six and upwards. And adults of all ages? Yes, our oldest member is in their 80s. Wow. So we really have, there's there's a a huge span. very wide span. Yes, absolutely. And only in central Israel. Why is that? Because that's the way the Israeli social service system works is that you, social services send people to areas that are kind of near their locality. So we cover the central Israel area. There are different organizations in other parts of Israel that look after those with special needs. Um, But we focus predominantly on that area saying that we do have people from other areas who've specifically requested to come to us because our services are of such a high standard and we have been able to allow them to use our facilities and care for them there and where does your funding come from we receive funding from all over the world but our funding is mainly mainly comes from the israeli government so we receive a lot from different ministries of the government for example from the education ministry the social welfare ministry they support different aspects of our programs in terms of global funding which we get through fundraising we have the uk office we've recently set up in the states and we also have an office in in the netherlands And how are the funds dissipated? I mean, have you got central buildings where people go to or is this home support? We do. In fact, we sort of, it's a bit of both, but predominantly we have key capital projects that we've raised money for over the years. Most recently, the new girls' school that we've just completed and opened this past September. But in addition to the buildings, we also do a lot of work sort of social activities, annual summer retreats, as well as that. So there's the programmes and the capital project side of things. So the funds are are well used then, aren't they? They are, they really are. Tell us about a little bit more exciting news back home, as it were. What's happening on this special event on the 11th of December? This was an event that came about via our Young Professionals Committee and... They had the idea that they wanted to hold an event with a mind reader. I think a couple of them had actually seen a mind reader and I have actually seen the mind reader that they've brought in for the event and he was absolutely fantastic. The event will be... I don't want to say too much, but I know that he'll be doing a lot of one-on-one tricks with the audience prior to his stage performance, which I think will be for about half an hour, 45 minutes, when everyone will really see him in action. It's quite amazing what he's able to do. So this is audience participation on a big scale? Yes. Um, When I saw him, there were four or five members of the audience up on the stage, and he asked them to draw something. And it was quite remarkable how spot on he was in relation to the drawings that they themselves had done. I mean, I kept thinking, how has he done it? There is no way. Because he couldn't see No, he couldn't see. I see. And he's not a hypnotist. He is a mind reader. He describes himself as a mind reader and there is a difference. Now, tell us a little bit more about the event. How do people get tickets for it? Are Are they expensive? Where is it? The event is being held at the Chazak building on Brent Street in Hendon. Tickets are on sale via Eventbrite. So you could look us up there and you'll find the event or you're able to call into the office and we'll happily take a payment over the telephone. Um, And they cost £25 and that includes the event itself and dinner. Sophie Ezra from British Friends of O.L. Sarah talking to community reporter Diana Toman there about their forthcoming event called An Evening of Mystery. For more information, then you can search for them on Facebook and a link to the event does come up.
You're listening to The Jewish Views, and this is The Jewish Moves, the part of the show where studio guests join me, Clive Roslin, to discuss matters that you've been hearing throughout the program so far. Joining Adam Bradley and me today is journalist and author Emma Klein, presenter Jeremy Jacobs, and founder of the Jewish Poetry Society, Judy Carberts. The subject today is the one on everyone's lips at the moment, the president-elect Donald Trump. The question is, what are our concerns, if any, over his electoral victory, and what do we hope he will do for global jury during his time in office? Emma, let's start with you. Are you pleased that Donald Trump has won the presidential elections? Of course I'm not pleased. I wasn't that keen on Hillary, but the comparison between the two made Hillary much better. I, uh, When I opened the online paper, I usually say, oh mon Dieu, if I a bit taken aback by something, but I actually said it in English, which showed how very taken aback I was. You said, oh my God. <laughs> I did indeed. I did indeed. For Jews, I don't know. He's supposed to like Israel, and both his daughter actually converted to... She's converted yeah, to a very religious... To, to a modern Orthodox Judaism when she yeah. married her husband, Jared Kushner. So I suppose for Jews, he might not be bad, but in general, I mean, how he ran his campaign was a total disaster. Well, you call it a disaster, but he won. Well, so it right. wasn't a disaster I mean, for him, well, was it? For people like us, it would seem a disaster. But his election really. campaign he's was not successful. He's a politician, he's a businessman. Yeah, but what he said about women as well. Adam was spot on. Hillary Clinton was the status quo candidate, the safe candidate. Donald Trump, the brand, was successful, and he won it. Yeah, but he, did, he did the most appalling things. Well, you could say the same about the Brexit campaign or the Remain campaign. Well, you can. Every, every, every election I've known, uh, known of, and I've been around the block a few times now, it's a stinking business. And this is no more stinking than anything else. But he, he's won it. He's not an establishment figure. He's a, he's a politician. He's an independent. He's a bit of a maverick. But to say it's a disaster. But that's America, in the past. So a, what about yeah. what about the future? There well, are the those... future. Well, again, we'll have to. We, we, we will have to see. I'm sorry to say that, but I mean, I'm I'm not I'm As not unhappy. I'm not I'm not unhappy. Yeah. He's won. There are those people. There's someone who said to me that they thought that we were now in the same position as. The Germans were in, or the Americans on the same position as the Germans were when Hitler took over at the beginning of the 1930s. That might be an exaggeration, possibly. Just a smidgen. Yeah. But it does smack of very similar qualities because it's a, a disenfranchised nation who really want change in very much the same vein as, as we saw with the vote over Brexit. Disenfranchised, working class people that don't, generally have a voice or don't feel yeah, that they exactly. have a voice. Yeah. No, it's not the politicians. It, 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 is, it is the elites. The, the elites, elites change, the right? metropolitan elites. And, yeah. you know, yeah. and the, 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 those are the people that need to sort of wake up yeah. in, in the United States and on this side of the pond as well. That's where the danger is because the, the reason why he got in was the same reason why Brexit happened. People, it, it is the globalisation problem. They'd had... I'm sorry, that is the issue. That's yeah. the underlying issue. And the reason why we have mass immigration is because of globalisation, I would suggest. They had Obama for eight years. Now they're scared they're going to carry on with the same, if not worse, with Hillary. And it's like she was given a God-given right because of her husband. And he said, it's now her turn. Well, it wasn't her turn. Arrogance in the extreme. Well, interestingly, I read somewhere that had they run Sanders, he would have actually mm. been a, a closer bet. For well, a lot of people Trump. say had yeah. anyone else but Hillary Clinton run for the Democrats, yeah. they would have got in. Yeah. Mm. It's as if the Democrats were so almost cocky 
in the same way that the the Remain yeah. voters were here, yeah. they were just a bit overconfident. And I think this is a wake up call, as you say, that the world needs. In fact, if you if you actually count up the votes, Mrs. Clinton got, got more, more votes, votes. hundred and fifty thousand yep. more votes, thousand more votes. That's, that's right. That's hardly democratic, is it? That's a very well, good point. That's a very good sure, point. But, but then they, they, they someone have, has college, to change it. They have a college system as to the way they but work. It's their system, and it's similar over here. It's, it's not true. proportional representation. It's the first past the post over yeah. here. Yeah. You could say it's not. But then do something about it when you're in power. Don't wait for an election and then sour grapes. You say, "Oh dear, it's it's mm. not mm. right now." Beautifully, you follow the law. Beautifully put, and that's what we've seen today. I, I will make one point to you mm. because it's it's quite an interesting one. There was a, I don't know how many of you will remember this or whether you're able to remember it, but at the time that Ronald Reagan became mm. president, mm. Yes. he was people were as frightened as they yes. are now. Very good point, Clive. And he and was he very good point. Very good. I thought he was a good. President. The great communicator. He's a better commu- he'll be a better communicator than Trump. He's gone now, but than Trump. But well, it's funny that you know, he played no. a cowboy. Enough <laughs> 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 said. No, you've got to be very careful what you say. Well, I have to say, in, in Trump's defense, that after he heard that he had won, he made a most fascinating speech. True. And you Quite wouldn't have thought it was made by the Quite same man. Yeah. Absolutely, you wouldn't think it was the same man. Well put. And yeah. it does make you wonder if a lot of the very big statements he made, the way he positioned himself, was just for the election. Yeah, because, I, I mean, for example, some of the policies that he said he would bring in actually being wiped off his website so they don't even exist and now it's going to be a virtual wall isn't it yes a virtual <laughs> wall and now, now how much is a virtual wall going to cost the Mexicans <laughs> <laughs> they have walls somewhere else in the world isn't it? can't well, think where for the minute but they, they might I've got to say that I feel I've come out the closet because I didn't tell my friends I, I was supporting him because everyone including my daughter who lives in Florida weren't for him at all but yesterday I went to play bridge with three friends two of whom are very orthodox girls and they both said he won he won isn't it great so I was so surprised and I spoke to one of their sons who lives in Manhattan he's a top financier he he works with the shore and he and all his friends are celebrating it's a kick in the tooth to the elites in America Mm. He did say some awful things during the election, and he's never been in politics in his life. And this is the most powerful country in the world. He will be. He'll have to be. He'll have to be reined in a bit. <laughs> I mean, it's quench what Republicans will be will be around him. But True. he look. He's got the Supreme Court and the Senate. I, yeah. I mean, he yeah. he's mm-hmm. he's got a lot of power, and that does concern me because I know in in with previous presidents they haven't had the entire sweep. No. Whereas he seems to have he, I'm I'm concerned about what what he's going to do because, like Clive said, some of the things he's come out with in in his election campaign. I'm sorry, you don't speak like that right. about women. You don't speak like that yeah, about when did, Muslims, but, 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 Mexicans. But, but, but when did when when did he when did he say it during, during the election? I, I didn't see it. the the Mexican thing. I didn't hear the Muslim thing. I think we all heard. But you know, if you but, go I, back, you know, yeah. this may sound very dramatic, but the happy <clears> point of this are to me. That it started out, when Hitler started out in Germany at the beginning of the 1930s, he behaved somewhat like Trump is behaving now. He made a lot of fuss, then he became 
the leader of Germany. And then, to begin with, people didn't notice all his hate. And then the hate slowly came out. I think this is. I think. I think it's absurd to make a comparison. The United States is a big, a powerful, and it's a great country with a very robust constitution. Right, the Germany at the time, pre-war Germany, wasn't like that. The Treaty of Versailles uh, also I exactly, mean, you, exactly. I mean, it's a very vulnerable country. Yeah. You cannot compare. Plus, clients. you I alluded think it's to, glo- to globalisation. You can't get away with it now. In in yeah. the 1930s, yes. people wouldn't know. There's no way of finding out that information now, particularly American politics, is so under the spotlight. I don't think he could actually get away with such well, hate. Probably not, his... but still, when you bear in mind that this man is, is to become the leader of the most powerful country in the world, it's a very frightening thought. I agree. Yeah, it's frightening. Well, it's amazing, isn't it? I'm not frightened at all. But the really hate not. isn't all directed... From him, a lot of it's directed at him. I heard someone say 9-11 was the worst day in American history, but 11-9 is the next worst day. Well, well, maybe. Emma, you think this, don't you? What? That you you very much against him. I'm against him, but I don't know if it's the uh, second worst day in American history. One has to, as uh, Jeremy said, wait and see. I mean, obviously, it's a shame that the Democrats didn't put up a better candidate. And the Republicans. Yeah. And, 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 I, I would have supported Ruby. I would have supported Ruby. Yeah, Ruby. 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 Well said. Yeah, Ruby. I would have supported against a Democrat. Yeah. But I mean, but you see, the Russians, for example, are going to have a wonderful time. But out they, of this. he gets on with Putin. Well, exactly, he gets on with Putin, <laughs> but he also gets on with everybody else. He says, but I mean, Putin is going to enjoy the fact that America is now in a great state of worry. Yeah, but who says it is? Where is the worry? It's it's, it's, it's whipped up. It is whipped up by the press. You've got a few yobbos in New York throwing placards and turning over cars. There's nothing. So the worry is that a a non-politician, a businessman who his entire life has been self-serving, self-promoting, is now commander-in-chief of the most powerful country on the planet. Sure. It is worrying. More so than Putin? Putin is not running the most influential and powerful country in the world. It's not far behind. It's not far behind, but he is not part of Western civilization. Russia, as we know, is a very different beast altogether to America. America almost represents the entire civilized Western world. And with someone like that, with, as I say, without the credentials to be a president, without what seems, to me anyway, without the the compassion towards uh, the people in America. He's a self-serving businessman. He's proved sure. it over but and over again. Yeah, yeah. Of course. I mean, I'm not saying it's not wrong. It's an ugly victory, you could say, for, right. for the Americans. Look, he may not last. But up till now... He's, he's going to last for four, four years. years. Yeah. Well, let's hope anything happens. You don't yeah. know. You don't know well, what's going to happen. We hope so. Nobody knows anything. No, and he mustn't... He mustn't but up till now, he's been sort of, as you say, self-serving. He's been... And in charge of everything and now, and, Ken- and Kennedy wasn't. Time, he's not going to be able to make his own decisions. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Because yeah. he's going to have to go via somebody yes. else. Be yeah. Up yeah. till now, in his business, he could put the his finger on the so-called button, but now the literal button, he can't. That's he can't do it. Why uh, can't he? I mean, he's, he be, can. He can't. He can't do anything without going through. Congress. Yes. yes, but the, but the whole Congress, of the American government Senate. 
is it all run by the same party now? The I know, Republicans that, have got the, the majority way. in the Senate True, and the House of Representatives. But he wasn't supported by quite a lot of the Republican Party. I think quite a lot of the Republican Party were averse to him. Yes. I think he's, he's going to be safe. I really do, and I think he's going to tone it down. He's been acting. It's been a part. He's, he's done really well to get there. Think Yes. What he is, he's a businessman, he's not a politician. But not even a very good one. Not a very good businessman. The money was made by his father. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's not a very good businessman. And he's, yet he's gone on the basis of his reputation being this businessman. People in America have voted for him because he's a successful, rich businessman. Yeah. And he's not. Again, he's pulling the wool over the eyes. <laughs> and that worries me that he's going to try and carry well, on with well, okay. his would, self In some respects, I'd rather have someone like him and some mealy-mouthed politician. Who all, yeah. you know, I mean, both sides of the Atlantic. Don't think, I don't agree with that. Okay, fine. In the sense that I think that someone running the country should be someone with a history of politics, someone who's gone through the entire yeah, system, I'm someone who that. knows how it works inside out. I'm not saying he you're wrong. Doesn't. But that is but, but I'm not saying I disagree with you. But you know, quite honestly, I've got more time for him than I have that woman in Scotland or the you know oh, or, yeah. or, 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 oh. other, or other people or other people up and down the country. Sorry. Anyway. But they're not running the biggest yes, they're not. Most yeah. powerful in, fact, in fact she in Scotland's not running anything, but anyway that's another The story. most powerful <laughs> country in the world which runs Yeah. It runs us. We depend upon it. And certainly us as Jews Israel depends He's on, on America. Israel. I, th well, I think I, actually, yeah, yeah. that's we'll one thing. He says he wants to make Jerusalem the accepted capital, as the yeah. capital of yes, Israel. Yes, that's what I thought he was. Yes, yeah. I'm missing something. Come no, on. it's. Um, well, he wants to move the US the embassy world. there from Tel Aviv. Oh, that's a good yes. idea. Right. Yes, he wants to. He wants to make Israel completely and utterly Israel. And and uh, from a Jewish point of view, mm. uh, or from an Israeli point of view, he's very pro. He's got five children, three of whom are married. His daughter, Ivanka, she's now converted to Orthodox Jewish. And her, I think it's two children, are obviously Jewish. His, both his sons, his older sons, are married to Jews. And one hasn't got children. One, I think, has got five children. So they're Jewish. So all his grandchildren... Jewish. And he was the Grand Marshal of the New York Israeli right. Parade, so which he yes. keeps telling really? people again and again. Yeah. So <laughs> he must be a friend. So from a Jewish point of view, maybe it's a good thing. And from an Israel point of view, maybe it's a good thing. But it's the rest of the world, one has to forget that he's got Jewish grandchildren and a Jewish daughter. You've got to think about what this man could do to the world. Could it pull the whole world apart? Isn't that the same with any politician, really? Before we know yeah, where we are. This is not really a politician. This is the whole point. This is the point that some of us have been trying to make. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Can't disagree with that. Perhaps you'll become one, Clive. How? <laughs> How? He will have... By being in office. I mean, you see, usually the President of America doesn't have much power because the House of Representatives and the Senate usually have the other party in power in at least one of them. Yeah. But both the House of Representatives... And the Senate now both have Republican Party in total majority. So what's that telling us? Yes, exactly. Exactly. But this means that the Republican Party has complete control. And the Republican Party under him, has he has utter control. And isn't that a frightening thought? To me it is. Yeah. It really is. Can anyone argue against that? Because I can't. I don't know enough about the American Constitution, but again, it's a robust constitution. It's a successful country. It's a profitable country. They make money. 
I think it is frightening. But on the other hand, there may be things reining him in, even part of the Republican Party, as we mm. said before. Yes. So I don't think he'll have total power. I don't think he'll have total power. One of the more positive things, if I can drag a positive out of this personally, is I love the way he played the media in the election. I mean, he got £2 billion worth of advertising for free. <laughs> the, the guy's not stupid when it comes to, to that kind of things. And on the back of that, the media wanted to build him up, build him up, so that he got the nomination, so that when we got to the presidential elections, they could knock him down and break him into pieces. And you know what? They didn't. Well, that seems, I think way. that's a fine way to end it. Thank you very much indeed, Adam. My thanks to our guests, journalist and author Emma Klein, presenter Jeremy Jacobs, and founder of the Jewish Poetry Society, Judy Carberts. Please do feel free to share your Jewish views with us, and you can email studio at jewishviews.co.uk, or you can contact us via social media. Find us on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash jewishviews, or on Twitter, we are at Jewish Views UK. Time now for a little comfort for our rabbinic thought for the week, and this time it comes from Rabbi Harvey Bolovsky from Golders Green United Synagogue. In Lech Lecha, we learn about the beginning of Avram's mission. Avram and his wife Sarai are a family who are going to be the beginning of the Jewish people, and they begin a long journey from their homeland in Mesopotamia towards the land of Israel. God speaks to Avram and he says to him, Lech lecho, go from your land, from your birthplace, from your father's house to a land that I will show you. In the Hebrew, the phrase Lech lecho actually means go to or for yourself. So the word lecho is actually redundant. It could have just said Lech, go. Why then does the Torah use the word lecho? It teaches a very interesting message. Going on a journey can be a journey for others. But it can also be a journey of self-discovery. As Rashi, the primary commentator on the Torah, who lived in the 11th century, says, the Walachah means it's for your benefit. It's a journey in your interests. It's for your discovery. It's Lech Lechah. It's what they would say in Yiddish, Geisuzich. It is a journey to the self. Avram and Sarai's mission begins here, but it also exemplifies religious journeys for all of us. It's not just going to a place. It's not just a physical relocation for them from one country to another, which at their age and in their times must have been a very big deal. It's also exploring the self, a journey to our true identity and to exploring our full potential. Thank you to Rabbi Harvey Belosky from Golders Green United Synagogue with our thought for the week. And that's all the Jewish views we have time for. Thanks to our guests, Carol Gould, Maureen Kendler, Sophie Ezra. Thanks also to the Schmooze team, Emma Klein, Judy Carberitz and Jeremy Jacobs. And of course, to you at home for listening. And we mustn't forget to thank the team, including our producers, Adam Bradley and Sue Greenberg. You can always listen to the most recent edition of The Jewish Views by visiting the Jewish News website, jewishnews.co.uk, and you can listen to all previous editions by searching for us in iTunes. The Jewish Views is brought to you in association with The Jewish News and is part recorded at the studios of Jewish Care in London. I'm Phil Dave. Do make sure you join us next time here on The Jewish Views. Goodbye.